Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Veterans Care Association and Timor Awakening podcast. The Timor Awakening program is an 11-day immersive, holistic and peer-to-peer veterans program based in East Timor that has a singular vision, which is to promote the health and well-being of veterans and veterans' families. Due to the current restrictions from COVID-19, we are running slightly abridged programs on the Gold Coast uh, with the same vision and same aim. We're using these opportunities to sit down with our participants one-on-one and conduct podcast interviews to capture their story and their lessons learned and things that we can all learn from uh, as we as veterans and wounded healers move through our own journey and help others do the same. We're going to be covering a whole range of topics including defence transition, mental health, relationships, veteran suicide, PTSD and post-traumatic growth. Whether you're out and about or listening to this at home or driving in your car, we do trust that you'll learn a lot by listening to our participants. Thank you and enjoy. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another uh, episode. I'm sitting down with Rob Schroeder, who has uh, just finished Timor Awakening 14 and is uh, another one of our serial offenders. He's been on quite a few programs now and he's volunteered some of his time to sit down with myself, Michael Albrecht, and uh, just have a bit of a chat about all things, uh, about the veteran space and transition and all that kind of cool stuff. So, uh, Rob is a veteran of, of a few conflicts going back, uh, Vietnam War and also uh, the Boer War, I believe. Is that, is that right? Uh, there's always one comedian in the room, right? <laughs> oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, mate... Um, yeah, but vet- so, but so many veterans do kid about that, you know. I've heard yesterday that uh, someone reminded me that uh, the first fleet, I was on the first fleet and saw the very first Aboriginal in Australia in 1778. So do you, do you deny that? Oh, or? well, I can't recall that. <laughs> well, it's good to see it, uh, a man of your vintage still has a sense of humour, my friend. So, um, mate, let's just, just start off because not everybody you know, knows you. Um, if you could just share a little bit about your time in the, in the forces, in the military, um, and where you went and where you served and what you experienced, and we'll go from there. Sure. I'd like to firstly say that my family uh, are from Holland mm. and uh, they, my father migrated uh, in 1955 yep. uh, to Geelong, Victoria uh, because he was a, a bricklayer, a contractor for the Shell Company. So right. he was out here by himself and uh, my mother and um, five siblings, uh, I'm a twin, have three older sisters they remained in Holland, and uh, my dad said, well, why don't you come over? This is a great country. So we got on a ship. I think it cost the family about $10, and uh, we had a six-week uh, travel to Australia on a very old, uh, smallish, rusty old ship. And we arrived in, um, in Melbourne, um, and we went all over the place, actually, Panama Canal and Suez and uh, Tahiti and a few other places I can't I can't really recall. But anyway, um, my family were very poor and uh, we came to Australia without any English at all. Right. So we're a migrant family. We were thrown straight into school at, uh, I think it was year four, fourth grade. Um, and the Australian kids used to hang a lot of shit on us for yeah. being uh, foreigners. Right. We had dagos and Dutch clogs and all sorts of funny names. Uh, didn't mean much to us because we just simply couldn't understand what the hell they were talking about anyway. Yep. I couldn't even recognise which was the girls' school and boys' uh, school or the girls' toilet or the boys' toilet. It was all a matter of pointing and just testing the water. And um, so that's that was the start of my life and um, 
we got stuck into the English language because my parents were probably about 50-ish mm. and it was too too late for them to learn English quickly. Yep. So the boys, my, my twin brother and I, we became uh, fairly familiar with the English language because we had to. We had to be the interpreter for the, for the family. So we struggled through school and passed, I don't know how, but we did pass uh, the grades and went to... Um, I actually went to the Geelong West Technical School and um, we had a whole lot of immigrants going to that school. And then one day some recruiting guy came through and showed a movie about life and uh, at the Army Apprentices School and you actually get paid for doing that sort of work. And I thought, well, I, I think I might like to have a look at that. I was only 15, 16 at, the point, at, at that time. And, of course, I went home all excited and I said, I just saw a movie about the army and my, my old man, because he was a Second World War uh, Dutch army veteran, he said, no way in the world are you going to go in the army. <laughs> uh, we just suffered a horrific period of uh, war for five years in Holland, so there's no way you can gonna go, you're going to go. I'm not sure what it is about me, but I actually uh, said, well, I am actually joining, so whether you sign that document or not, I'm joining the army. And, of course, uh, my twin brother was opposed to that idea and uh, so were my sisters. They were worried about what might happen to me. So I joined at the age of 16, went through the army apprentice school. Uh, so I went from one uh, s- secondary college nowadays to a another college in, uh, at the Army Apprentice School. Well, that was a period of uh, 18 months. It, I, I classify that as uh, pure bastardisation. Uh, Not surprising. Quite, yeah, quite unbelievable how uh, they treated us during that period of time. Uh, I can recall yeah. sleeping on the floor because I was too shit scared because the corporal would come around and upend my bed if it wasn't made perfectly right. correct. I'd up in um, my wardrobe because things weren't in line, so I had a second set of clothes. Mm. And that was my introduction to the army. Stood on the playground many, many, for many, many hours uh, with flies crawling up your nose and, and being told to sort of straighten up and not, not, uh, not shoot the flies away. So at 16, 17, it was a pretty hard period of time. Um, enjoyable in, in many ways because of the mateship at that yeah, you know, we we were in a hut of about twelve kids, and um, it was a senior corporal, and uh, the rest of us were baggy asses, and um, we just accepted the army for for what it was. Uh, we we copped it on the chin, so to speak. Whatever they threw at us, we actually did it. Yep, um, didn't really grumble. I I can recall so being uh, falling to sleep in my bed, um, and then waking up in the middle of the playground. Kids, we sort of just pick up the bed and just carry it out in the middle of the playground. So you'd wake up and, where in the fuck am I? And here we go, we're in the middle of the playground. Those sorts of things uh, were fairly common mm-hmm. at the Army Apprentice School. So that wasn't Dutch discrimination, that was, uh, oh, that was no, just the done just, thing? Just the junior class. Yep. Yep. I, was, I was part of the junior class and it was uh, the following year, of course, we were the senior class and we took it out on the young kids coming through. It was just a period of... Um, as I said, pure bastardisation, but yep. reflecting on it now is a little bit of fun, really. Yeah. So from there, um, I was uh, allocated uh, Royal Australian Army Service Corps, um, 
and I went to a f- my first unit was 87 Tipper Platoon. So what does that mean? Tip trucks, rough guys, big truck drivers, and I was a pimply-faced 17-year-old. Hello. And they used to call me uh, Junior because I was, I was like a school kid. Um, but after that, um, I must have... Must have been okay because they they gave me an opportunity of doing some promotion courses, and uh, I got rapid promotion from corporal to sergeant to warrant officer. In those three ranks, I was I think I was one of the very you know, youngest uh, sergeants and youngest warrant officers uh, in the army at that time. Um, I did go to Vietnam. Or prior to going to Vietnam, I went to Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand. And my eldest son was born in Singapore. We were part of the 28th Commonwealth Infantry Brigade in Singapore. It was uh, full of POMs and uh, prim and proper type things. But I I belonged to the Sergeant Smith at that time. And it was quite interesting to see that uh, similarity between the Australian um, senior NCOs and uh, Australian, uh, and sorry, POMI senior NCOs. They took it more seriously, I think. Mm. So anyway, I got a posting order to say, okay, well, you, you've done Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, so it's your turn to go to Vietnam. So I served 12 months at uh, headquarters, uh, Australian Forces in Vietnam, which was, uh, I, I recall, um, because I was groomed, like, in terms of, like, copping on the chin, we just went into a war zone expecting some things to happen, Um Still a little bit nervous at that time, I think. Um, but it was just one of those things that we were just told to do something and we just did it without question. There were no whistleblowers at the time. Some incidents took place particularly affecting me, which uh, was quite horrific if I think about the past. Mm. Um, at the time, I just, uh, once again, just shut up and just got on with it. Um Hindsight's a wonderful thing. You can say, well, I really should have been one of those whistleblowers to, to dob the guy in who who actually took a shot at me. Uh, took a shot at you, yes. metaphorically speaking, or with a rifle? I uh, know, with, with a pistol. Um, but I was just shunted into my little cage and told, just get on with it. There was no investigation. It was swept under the carpet. And was he shooting at you with the intention of killing you or scaring well, you? Well, it's an interesting question because he didn't actually hit me it might have been uh, because it was a poor shot but I can't ever remember in my training that a person would grab a weapon mm. with a finger on the trigger and pulling the trigger and claiming that to be an accidental discharge I which is is that what he did well he, he pulled the trigger and the, and, and the round went off in but, my, but did he claim it was a an, an Excellent. As I said to you before, I, I was just shunted back into my little cubby yeah. hole and um, the OC um, more or less sort of said, just get back to work. Right. right. So I, d- I don't want to talk too much about it. Sure. It just brings back horrible memories. But I lived with that from 1969 up to now mm. and that thought and the incident still hasn't left me. So... Uh, I saw a few other things which um, were less um, intensive, but, you know, in a war zone, you just sort of just see things which you, as an army person in uniform, you just accept. 
one of the highlights in Vietnam for me was um, I, I was a sergeant at the time. Um, Warren, yeah, I was I was in the sergeant mess in headquarters AFB, and um, a couple of guys walked through the door, and one was Keith Payne, and the other was Ray Simpson, and uh, we didn't know why they why they arrived in Saigon. But we learned very quickly that they uh, that the general summons them to, to for those guys to go and see him, and that was the day where they were told they actually won VCs, yep. both of them. Yep. So it, that that's a highlight for me. It's like wow, these guys. Um, they were t- two uh, warrant officers, class two, uh, to tell their stories face to face during that period of time was really good. I, I I think that was one of the highlights in Vietnam for me. Um, so anyway, on return from um, Vietnam, um, my career sort of blossomed. Uh, I was promoted to Wo two pretty young. I think I might have only been about twenty five, something like that. And um, I got really good postings to Australian Staff College, and then uh, eventually. Um, they selected me. I got promoted away one fairly soon after that, and then they selected me to go uh, for the position of uh, RSM of Australia House in London, which um, in the competition was like 550 Warren Officers Class One wanting that one job. Wow! And uh, so that was another highlight for me. They actually yeah. selected me. Uh, however, the brigadier over there when I arrived. Um, he made it very clear to me that he really didn't want me to be there. Like, instead of welcoming me, it was like I really wanted an artillery or a tanky or an infantry warrant officer, not an ordnance corps. Um, so he, he tried to stop the posting, but the generals in Canberra said, well, you know, we selected the guy we think is best for the job, so just shut up, brigadier, and just uh, cop it on the chin. Yep. So I enjoyed that with my family and uh, gave us an opportunity of um, obviously mixing with a lot of warrant officers in the um, international scene because I became the secretary of the International Senior NCOs organisation. So we went to all the embassies uh, or high commissions and, um, wow, that was just sensational. Then I got a little card uh, which was from the Queen and the Queen says, well, I command you to uh, to visit me at Buckingham Palace for morning tea. And I thought, oh, shit, this is, this is pretty good. Uh, you and your family. So uh, we hopped in a taxi and went through the gates of Buckingham Palace and um, the taxi stopped just before the entrance of Buckingham Palace itself. And then we walked through the palace and uh, lo and behold... There were 2,000 guys eating uh, designer sandwiches and top hats and tail. I thought I was the only family invited to that that, uh, morning tea, but I was joined by about 2,000 other guys. But it was still a nice morning to remember. On return from the UK... Just uh, just quick on that, so the Queen was was there and was was milling around? I didn't shake a hand because, I mean, there's 2,000 guys there and you're not permitted to actually shake a hand. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it was just nice, just yeah. mingling with the crowd and, and seeing her there in, in the flesh. Yeah. Oh, I forgot, uh, on the way to, to the UK, um, uh, we, we travelled first class because my young son was, um, one, one, of my, one of my kids uh, was 
three and a half, I think, at the time, that entitled me to fly first class with my family. So I, I planned the trip to go through the States, Hawaii and four, four major cities and Amsterdam and then London. It took me about four weeks to get there to the UK. Uh, I was sitting on the flight and I thought, oh, shit, that's Charlie, Prince Charles, uh, uh, sorry, Prince Philip, Prince mm. Philip uh, sitting in the seat um, in front of me. So I, being as cheeky as I am, I said to the uh, the mind, minders on the on his right, because uh, we travelled first class, I said, do you mind if I have a bit of a chat with Philip? And uh, they, they talked to him and he turned around, oh, hello, how are you? Pompous old bastard he is. But anyway... Um, he, he did talk to me, and but he never invited me to Buckingham Palace, but the Queen did. Um, on return from the UK, um, I got commissioned, and uh, that was another highlight. Mm. I just keep like, well, okay, I must be doing something right. And uh, so they offered me the position of a captain, and um, once again I had a pretty good successful career after that as an officer. So I did 20 years as an OR and 20 years as an officer. Mm. A lot of guys say to me, uh, what's the difference, you know, what's the lifestyle difference? And yes, there are differences, um, but enjoyable in both categories. I call I call the guys crusty old warrant officers now, they look at me like, <laughs> but I was one of those. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's an enjoyable experience to be commissioned because at the time when I got commissioned, I looked like... I came out of RMC at the time. So the officers, the senior officers and officers in the officers' mess and what units would accept me to be one of them. But because I have Vietnam ribbons on and it looked at me a bit like suspicious, like, oh, shit, where have you been? Um, But I fitted in in very well. Mm -hmm. Um, That was basically what the, the Army did to me. It gave me a... Great career from age 16 until years 50, 55, 55 when I got out. Um, Ten years of that was Army Reserve uh, before I got out Mm. uh, of uniform. But I I don't think I've taken my uniform off. I'm still very much in the Army mode. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, being in that mind frame, it caused... I'm not saying it's the real cause, but there is an element of the cause of being married four times. I'm not proud of that. It's a roller coaster ride. It's financially disastrous. It's emotionally horrific. Um, but that's what happened. Um, in year 2005, after getting out of the third marriage, I said, stuff this. I'm, I'm not going to be in Australia anymore. I want to go overseas. So... I made a decision to go back to Vietnam just to see what the communists had done with the country. Yep. And bugger me dead on the second day, in a rickshaw going towards the occult, uh, occult, I can't pronounce it properly, one of the bars in, yep. in Vietnam, young, two young girls on the left of me on a motorbike just simply said hello and I said hello and I just sort of waved at them. And then when I stopped, uh, I pointed and I said, I'm going in the bar. If you want to come, you can come with me. One of them was Belinda, Belinda Mai. No English. In, I, I'm in Vietnam. I can speak no Vietnamese. And uh, 
the rest is history. She's she's my wife. Um, when I mentioned that to my family, they were really shocked. I mean, you know, there's a guy, our brother, has gone to Vietnam after his third marriage failing and then he's picked up another Asian girl. What in the hell's, what in the hell's going through his brain? Mm. So there was a bit of like... Um, it wasn't all sort of excited uh, news for them, but it was for me. Uh, and it does work. I mean, there's huge age difference. I think it's 30 years between us, but it, it's actually stuck and, and we're together and it's been 17 years since I met her. So She's producing uh, some fantastic cooking for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> there's always an upside. Yeah. I won't tell you about the downside. Oh, yes, I will. Save that for another podcast. Oh, you can, you can yeah, share no, some. I think, I think uh, Australian guys marrying um, foreign ladies, um, particularly Asian ladies, there's a huge language problem. Yeah. A, because I can't, I can't understand Vietnamese. Um, I, I believe that I'm too old to learn it, which is probably wrong. Um, so the communication and the language barrier is massive. You can't have a normal conversation. It's like going back into childhood again and talking in one word, two, two word syllables. But the credit, of course, is that she, her English is far better than my Vietnamese. So whilst I don't understand what the hell's going through her brain sometimes, um, she thinks the same about me. You know, why can't I communicate better? So all in all, um, I stumbled across. Uh, mates for mates. Mm. I stumbled across that. This is a true story. I I applied uh, for some recognition from DVA, uh, and I got stuffed around for eleven and a half years going through the process of documentation. Uh, I've had five advocates, and I've told the truth, nothing but the truth, according to the very first application some years ago, but the system simply didn't either believe or didn't see that there was a full entitlement. So I got really stewed up about that for a long period of time. I saw psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, but it wasn't until I had a, uh, also had some back injuries. I went, I went to an osteopath and he said, oh, mate, why don't you just go along to Mates and Mates? I said, what the hell's Mates and Mates? This is going back about six years ago, seven years ago. I said, Mates for Mates, okay, sounds okay. And I used my initiative and found out a little bit more about them and I went to Albion where they were located. Yep. And um, I was pleasantly surprised because there was a group of young guys and, and a mix of Vietnam veterans um, who just absorbed me like one of them. And uh, for many years prior to that, I was in the wilderness. So I just had no idea about entitlements, um, belonging, like suicidal, depressed, all that sort of stuff. And it wasn't until I walked into the Mates and Mates organisation where somebody said, well, you better go and see this guy. He's an advocate, blah, blah, blah. And that was a turning thing for me in a positive way because um, I, I'm one not to give up. 
and if I believe I'm entitled to something, I will chase it. But it takes some veterans a long bloody time to find the right advocate mm-hmm. or to find enough drive in them to look for a good advocate or change the advocate if you're not happy with that advocate. And that's that's probably one of the secrets is to find the guy who believes you, who you bond with, who puts you on the right track. Advocates are often overworked and they can't get absorbed in in a particular yeah. person. Yep. There's too many on the books. Yep. So Especially now. Yeah. COVID and everything that's happened. Yeah. There's been a surge in uh, applications and so forth. Yeah, and I think it's because some guys are entitled to something, but they're in the wilderness. They're, they're, they're somewhere else walking the street, getting pissed or bloody drugs or whatever it is because they're not sure where to go. Mm. And if you get a good advocate who can take you by the hand and lead you into uh, a new pathway, uh, which led me to go and do a PTSD course. Yep. Uh, Mates for Mates is a great organisation to allow people to bond with each other and friendship, activities. I've been on uh, Trojan Trek. I've done all the activities for Mates for Mates. And then I stumbled across Timor Awakening, VCA, Veterans Care Association. They came to Mates for Mates. There was Gary and uh, what I thought was a chubby offsider and that was uh, Michael Stone. <laughs> uh, both of them were very jovial and happy-go-lucky type guys and I thought, oh, yeah, this sounds pretty interesting. I, I knew very little about Timor uh, it's, uh, as a country or Timor Awakening. And uh, they gave me another surge and they said, well, you know, this program might be for you, Rob, if you uh, think you uh, might like to do it have a look at the EOIs and um, put in for it. And bingo, out of the uh, lottery came my name again and uh, I haven't looked back. To experience uh, Australian veterans going to a country where there was conflict and being welcomed by that country and the, the citizens of that country with open arms was just so refreshing. Mm. I I like it so much because I can't believe that the communists would have welcomed us back to Vietnam, right. if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. To go into a conflict, to do what you need to do, the Australian government then withdraws the, the, the Defence Force. It's only years later that you go back as a visitor or as a tourist. But Timor Awakening is quite different. It, it, it allows veterans of Timor to go back to Timor to enjoy the, uh, the love and affection by those people who they actually saved 20 years ago, 25 yeah. years ago. So that was really, really good. So I'm in a pretty good headspace right now. Uh, I've done probably more battles internally in my head than with uh, overseas uh, ventures. Uh, but I'm on a good path now. I'm on a good path of health and recovery and uh, mindfulness, mm. all these foreign things that we don't know about, yoga. I mean, fancy, for 38 years on an army uniform and to mention the word yoga, they thought you were a poof. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, Michael. Uh, they thought you were uh, homophobic. Yep. Um, it's now recognised to be a powerful tool for those people in in conflict with themselves. So yoga, mindfulness, take a break, have breathing, 
all these new things that I think are new have probably been around for centuries, but it's the first time. <coughs> first time in my life that I'm actually enjoying that. I'm enjoying the comradeship with the guys around me. It's like one big family. So I'm in a pretty good space. I've got a beautiful wife uh, with some issues in relational language, that's all. Um, I still have to do a bit of mending uh, with my family. I've got, uh, you know, as I said before, three other wives and six children and ten grandchildren. And I'm a little bit distant from... Uh, from two out of the six kids. I, I, I still can't find out why. It's probably because maybe I was too army in my civilian life as a, as a husband and, and, and father, mm-hmm. you know, like I was in the regimental mode. Mm. Like get your bloody bed organised and clean up that shit on the floor. Uh, that probably has turned them against me. I'm not sure if that's, if that's the case. But... You know, I've got still some mending to do, uh, and that that applies to um, faith. Uh, I'm, I'm just exploring that particular avenue because I think uh, all of these things fit together. I'm not going to be a born again Christian, mm-hmm. but I'm starting to believe. I'm starting to believe that there's some powerful organization, powerful person like God or Jesus or whatever you like to call it. Um, which which creates a better person. So I'm exploring that, and hopefully with my wife. So I think, yeah, it's about it. And if you could go back and uh, one one of the sort of key things we're extracting here, and, and thanks for everything you've shared, it's been fantastic, yeah, really really valuable, and certainly some stuff about you I, I didn't know. You know, we've been on a few programs together, so there's uh, some interesting stories new for me as well. And um, I guess if you, if you could go back and and say something to your pre-transition self the, the time in your life when you were still in the military but before you'd left knowing everything you know now everything you've learned and knowing what was ahead of you what would you say to yourself I wish I wasn't as regimental um, I'm a bit of a workaholic and I applied all those principles um, in my army career and that's why I probably had rapid promotion mm. I'm very competitive but I forgot and didn't sort of focus on the, the nice side of the human. That is, you know, enjoyment and happiness. It's always about standard attention when mm. you're talking to me. Mm. It's all about... About the rules. About the rules. And that's been ingrained in me since 16. And to shake that off is very difficult. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I wish I was a happier person during that period of time, but I was too regimented. Um, it has benefits, but it's also got negatives, and that the negative is on the family side. Yep. causes a lot of pressure. I uh, Jokingly, my kids, who are now the youngest is 30 and the oldest is 52, and they say, well, you know, why don't you take your uniform off? They're still telling me that now. It's the way I talk to them. Mm-hmm. It's my mannerism. Um, so in the army that was exemplified because that's the way you were. That's and that was the job that was required of you. Job. Was an RSM. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, that's that's a that's a huge insight. And and what uh, I guess maybe just to to wrap up, what, what's next for you? Just to continue along the path, I, I really want to help uh, 
veterans, in particular veterans. Mm-hmm. But it's also the old man walking on the street. It's mm-hmm. also the little old lady who's just in a wheelchair or a disabled person who's just, you know, I feel so sad about those people at times because there are many lonely people out there. And the guy who I stopped yesterday when we had a task to go and find some beauty of some sort, uh, many people, including me, took photographs of nature, which is a wonderful thing to do. But I saw this old man with his boat, with his tie on and dressed like he's going to Sunday church. It's probably the first time that someone has actually stopped him to say hello. Mm. He was... He was taken aback. He was like, oh, oh. And when I just spoke to him nicely, he just opened up like, like, like a book. And that gives me great joy. I think uh, a lot of us put on a brave face. Um, we don't know what's going on in other people's heads. But I think if we can be more compassionate, we offer our experience and knowledge and wisdom, encouragement to veterans in particular makes me sad to, to um, associate with young guys who are still in that uptight mode. Um, I just encourage them to open up, grab the friendship that's offered to them. Uh, I know it's difficult, been there, done that myself, um, but the opportunities these days to belong to organisations like uh, Veterans Care Association, Mates for Mates, a swag of ESOs, yep. guys get into it because it's just a genuine uh, offer of love and uh, mateship and brotherhood. Yet I know statistically there are many guys who probably even haven't got a white card or a gold card yep. because they don't know where to go. Yep. They're, they're in zombie land somewhere yep. or in the pub drinking grog. Um, so... I'm I'm in a really good space. I want to offer my services and friendship and love. I'll give you an example of, of that, and that is uh, Max Stahl from uh, Team War. Mm. He is a um, first-class guy who has probably saved Team War, if, if we reflect on the past. Yeah. He's the guy that exposed this uh, uh, massacre of, um, of the cemetery. Mm. Um, Santa Cruz, yeah. Yeah, uh, who um, who's got a heart of as big as big as Farlap? Is that the right saying? Yeah, works. He's got a big heart. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's just offering his services and passion to help the Timorese. Um, that's the guy. They're they're my they're my mentors. I'm saying, wow, look at this guy here. Look at this guy. Look at look at Michael Stone. Look at Gary Stone. It's just mm-hmm. pure love, and I would like to be part of that group that continues that path. Look at David Freeman, who's got that organic farm. Uh, the offers there are always there to veterans to belong, and uh, yet some guys are sort of hesitant about it. I, I'm just going to encourage you know, those uh, veterans to go on that path of um, allowing themselves happiness and joy. Yep. I'm just reflecting on that joy bit because that's probably the – I never really I, – I really, I really don't 
And I didn't understand what this joy and happiness was about. You know, I walk in the street and I go to the coffee shop. And I see all these people having a bloody good time, like talking and talking shit and laughing, carrying on. And, you know, I say to myself, Rob, why can't you be like that? Why can't you just be taking the uniform off, getting into a relaxed mode, but being friendly and joyful and happy? No, I still haven't got there. I still haven't got there. Sounds like you're making some inroads, though. Yeah. Talking to strangers on the street. and Yeah. And you're aware of it. So. Well, you know, yesterday we had another incident, right? We were at a cafe, cafe um, doing some yoga. And there was this pretty girl, actually. She was inside and she came up to me at the counter and started talking like, like I did to the old man. Maybe maybe that was the trigger. Maybe she was young and I'm an old. She probably felt sorry for me. <laughs> and uh, and she was really a delightful person to talk to, yep. let alone the physical body was really, really stunning. And um, I went outside and I saw Reese sitting there and I know more about Reese than most people. And I said, Reese, come with me. And then I got sprung. She is powerful. It is. I should have said to her, I'm only human. I should have said to her, what is so wrong with that? I recognise beauty in beautiful girls. I recognise beauty in old men. <laughs> but she didn't give me that chance. She <laughs> says, no, you were perving on that girl. I said, oh, my God. You were busted, weren't you? But really, uh, as I said, you know, the, there's always two sides to the story. I, I, I wanted to introduce Reese, who's recently gone through some issues, mm. to a new and... A new opportunity of meeting someone so beautiful. Nice. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for sharing all that. You are a fountain of wisdom and you are still climbing your own mountain and you're learning stuff along the way. So thanks sharing for sharing so much of that with us all. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Rob. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We trust it's been valuable. If you've got any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us at support at veteranscare.com and we do encourage you to share this podcast with anyone you feel really needs to hear it and keep a lookout for our next episode. Thank you.